walk in. And what do they got? They got Halloween stuff, right? Halloween decorations. Right behind the Halloween decorations in September, just look there. Christmas. We even got the Thanksgiving. They got Christmas decorations out. I can't handle more than one holiday at a time. I don't know about you. Forget Halloween. Christmas is great, but still, we got Thanksgiving. We got Christmas stuff out. There's people out there that go Christmas crazy. Almost like they got a disease of Christmas or something, right? They got five blow-up things on their front lawn. You know? They got Christmas lights like crazy. Trying to watch the movie. Uh, National Lampoon. Right? <laughs> I was watching that last night. <laughs> Good stuff. Man, people get it. They get in the spirit of Christmas, but they really know what it is. I don't know. There is a spirit to Christmas, there's a miracle to Christmas. But I want to ask you this morning, Christmas, are you ready? Yes, Pastor Nate. You are. Good. Good. Christmas, are you ready? Do you know what it means to be ready? We're going to talk a little bit about it this morning. Ask somebody around you, Christmas, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? It's not about decorations, I promise. <laughs> we could go down that path, right? We could make a list of all the things we gotta do for Christmas. Get the gifts out, Christmas cards. You with me? We can make a list and check it twice even. <laughs> oh. That's bad. That's terrible. It is, it's awful. <laughs> but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about did we send out the Christmas cards? Do we have everything wrapped? But what I want to talk about is the spiritual aspect of are we ready for Christmas and what that means. What does it mean, really? Do you have the Christ of Christmas in your heart? Are you with me? That's what Christmas is about. And I want to look at it from a little different angle. I'm not going to give you the Christmas story this morning. Even though we're coming on Christmas. We're not going to go there. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is from a passage in the Bible, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. He says, John the Baptist, a little bit of his story. It says, John, John Baptist prepares the way. It's what the heading of my Bible says. And it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were 
baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when they saw many of those, when he, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. With the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Praise God for his word. Yes. So this morning I want to take a look at what this man of God told the people of Israel to do to get ready for the coming of the Lord. There's four key things that I want to pull out of this scripture to talk about. Four key things we need to heed if we wish, if we wish to fully prepare for his Christmas and his Christmas time. Let's just pray real quick. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the things you're doing in this church, in this community, Lord. Lord, I would just ask that this word go forth, that it will touch people's hearts and lives, Lord. It's not about a man, it's about your word. It's not about this man, but about the man Christ Jesus, who came as a gift for us in a manger one day, but to go to a cross and die for our sins, so we could accept him as our gift of Christmas. Father, I just ask that we could apply the things that we're going to learn today and talk about to our lives. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. The first word in verse 3 is to prepare. We've talked about some of the things that we need to do for Christmas, right? To prepare for Christmas that we do naturally. Getting our gifts, buying our gifts, getting our shopping done, getting a wrap, putting cards on it, putting names on it, making sure all the kids got something. Nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, grandmas, moms, dads, down the line, right? We do all these things. But that's not what we're talking about. Sometimes in our homes we bring our Christmas decorations. There are things in place that need to be moved out of the way to make room for our Christmas decorations. Maybe we just got, still got stuff up from Thanksgiving or Halloween. We got to move some furniture around to get the tree in place. Are you with me? Right? So what is the scripture saying that we need to prepare? We need to prepare a place in our hearts for Christ to come in. We need to clear out all the other junk that's in the way of us being able to serve him and have a clean heart that he can dwell in. Is that good? Yes. Will it tweet? I don't know. <laughs> right? But we need to have a clean heart, a place where he can for him to dwell in, to live in. Make some room. In our scripture, we're told 
that John the Baptist is the one whom Isaiah spoke about when he, when he told there would be a voice calling in the wilderness. And we can see this. That's in verse 3 where that said. And we can go back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And that's where that statement comes from. This, in Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And on even ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. spoken. When we look at the word prepare closely, we find it refers to a clearing out. We are to clear out a way for the Lord in the wilderness and make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Our lives, most times, before we come to Christ, are just full of junk. It's just full of things that separate us from Him. We need to clear those things out. What does that mean? The custom of the day was, it, at, the scripture, at the time of Scripture, was to send out a representative before a king. He would go ahead of the king, and he would prepare the way for the king to come. <coughs> so he would go out, and he would take the same path the king is going to take to where he's going to get to. And if there was a ditch in the road, he'd fill it in. If there's a rock in the way, he'd move it. If there was a tree in the way, he'd get it out of the way. Are you following me? Yes. So what he's saying is, John here was saying, I'm, I'm the forerunner of this guy to come. I'm just helping to prepare a way. In our hearts, we need to prepare a way for, and a place for this king to dwell. Good? Yes. Isaiah. Earlier on, chapter 26, verse 7, it says, The path of the righteous is level. You, O Lord, make level the way of the righteous. So, in order to prepare a smooth path for the Lord, we must be righteous. This simply means that we clear out sin, we clear out all the junk that's in our lives that make it impossible for God to come. By telling us to prepare, John the Baptist is saying that the King is coming. The King is coming. So we must make sure that we are ready to receive Him. The next couple words is going to talk about really how do we receive Him. Word number two is we must confess. Remember, this is coming out of our main text in Matthew 3, 1 to 10. We must confess. Confession. Oh, boy. Let's get deep for a minute. Confession can sometimes seem like such a little thing to us. As Christians, we think God's all-knowing. He knows what I've done wrong. I don't need to tell him what I've done. I don't need to talk about it with somebody else. God just knows. We can pray a prayer of, God, if I have any sin in my life, can you take it? You know? Is that really preparing our lives? That if there's any sin. Because more than likely there's something there. 
We've had sin in our lives, right? It's not it, it's a matter of what. Right? God, if there's if there's any sin, sin. That kind of prayer scratches the surface of what confession is. Doesn't get you there. Confession, by definition, means this to acknowledge or admit that you have done something wrong. If there is any sin in your life, you are not admitting or acknowledging any sin by just saying, if there's something there. You don't recognize it. You're not saying, I've done something wrong. You're not saying, Lord, forgive me for my wrongdoing. Forgive me for being prideful. Right? We just stop with if. Forgive me for the lust that I've had in my heart. Forgive me for my greed. Right? If there's something. If you look at it like this. If you commit a crime, and you go to the police station, and you just say, I committed a crime, but you never tell them what, what's their next question going to be? What did you do? Right? What are you confessing to? Right? Well, I just confessed that I committed a crime. Well, where do we go from there? You confess to something, but what is it? Right? Are you confessing to, I don't know, something silly? I can't even think of something stupid. What? Are you are you confessing to murder? Are you confessing to something real? Something tragic? Or are you confessing that you slept on the wrong side of the bed last night? You know, something like that. They're going to ask, right? God's design is for us to confess. John 1, first student, first John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God's way, the only way for forgiveness, requires that we confess all of our wrongs. It goes back even farther than that. You go back to the Old Testament, time of the tabernacle, you have to cleanse yourself the leader before you go in, right? But even prior to that, you would have to make you have to bring an animal to sacrifice for your sins. And I'm sure, I'm confident that it was different for each person. Each person brought something that was almost relational to their sin. So somebody might maybe bring a small bird because of a small sin. Somebody might be bringing a herd of cattle. I don't know, right? They're bringing all this stuff, but. It really depended on what your sin was, what you would bring, right? What's kind of crazy is, you know, you saw that guy next to you. Oh, that guy's bringing a cow. He does something really wrong, right? <laughs> what did he do? Man. But confession is not about gossip. It's not about knowing what the next guy did, right? But it's about making and preparing a place in your heart for Christ. Praise God. We can go this far. If I ask you right now, how many of you sinned this week? I won't ask. 
But if I asked, a lot of you would raise your hand. Because we're all sinners. We all come short of God's glory. Right? But if I asked you to tell me that sin, you probably wouldn't want to do it. Right? It's a little more personal. We don't like to open ourselves up and to share the things that we struggle with. The, the things that sometimes hold us back from really serving God. Right? But if we confess it, whether it's to Christ, or to ask somebody to come pray with us and to confess with them and ask them to encourage us in our problem, our struggle, we have somebody we can confide in and be accountable to. Confession. Think about some of the knuckleheads we see on TV. Go like Dr. Phil, right? Try to get some help. They confess all the problems with Dr. Phil in front of the whole world, right? <laughs> oh, I've got this problem. I've got this problem. You can see it's someone older. And you guys like Jerry Springer and stuff. These people are nuts. Some of the stuff they have to listen to, right? <laughs> At least it's Dr. Phil. I've seen a doctor. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but why, are, why do people do that? Why do people go out of their way to confess things in front of other people? And to deal with it? Anybody? There's a reason. Even the world knows confession is good for the soul. They know that if they confess, they've got a knowledge. They've declared that this thing's not going to hold me back anymore. But as Christians, we can't do that, right? We can't confess. We can't confess to God, and we can't confess to somebody else. But we need to confess. Last time I was here, we talked about what? Love, right? We talked about being real with people. Right? Talk about how people want to see somebody's been through some struggle. Doesn't mean nothing if nobody knows that you never you didn't overcome anything. Right? So we can use our confession as a testimony too. Look where God brought me from. There was a day I used to do this. I was living in sin. I was prideful. I was lustful. I lived in idolatry. I put things before God. Right? But today I'm an overcomer. Confession. It's important. So people need to know that we've been set free of sins and struggles. Nobody ever knows the struggle of sin you have. Better said like this. If nobody knows, then I guess it's better said like this. Others can find comfort in the fact that they are not alone in their sin. Others can find comfort in the fact they are not alone in their sin. Confession is not easy. It's hard. But there's no doubt that confession 
is incredibly freeing. When it happens, the devil will do all he can to keep you locked up in prison upon confession. He knows the power of confession. And it's, it is time we as Christians understand its importance. Did you know before revival comes that confession has to take place? Revival will never come outside these walls. It will never come inside the walls of the church until the church confesses their sin. Revival starts in the church. It doesn't start by, you know, just a mass of people coming in. Revival starts when people begin to confess the sin of their lives and put him first. When they prepare a place for him to dwell. Are you with me? Yeah. The enemy knows this. He wants to keep us in unconfessed sin. Third word is repent. So I said confess and repent. How many of you think they're the same thing? Nobody. So that's good. How are you saying that because I'm giving you two words? That can't be the same thing, right? When so many people think that I've confessed, that's enough. Confession is the start. When we confess we've had sin in our lives, when we confess that we've lived that lifestyle, but recognize our need for God and ask Christ into our heart, and we're talking about Christmas, having Christ in our heart, the spirit of Christmas, the real spirit of Christmas, the Christ of Christmas. When we ask him into our heart, the next step is to live out repentance. And see what we praying for you. Last night, I was at a Christmas party for uh, my family. And so this was Saturday this afternoon. My little nephew, he's three years old, right? His name is Parker. He's a, the cutest kid in the world. Adoro. It's my I have an uncle and brother. It's his son. And like I said, he's cute. He's good looking. How do I his dad? But right? He's he's a great he's a he's a fun kid to be around. But yesterday he was going out of his way to throw people's toys, to hit them, right? So what do we do? Pulled him into the living room. He sat with me while I was watching Fast and Furious on TV. <laughs> Sit there. Starts crying. I'm talking like big old crocodile tears running down his face. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? Forgetting. Right? He's confessed. So, of course, what are we going to do? Make him sit there longer? Maybe a little bit. But you forgive him. Let him go back and play. What does he do? He instantly gets up. He goes the, the hallway it's from here to that, that table stand. And he walks out in the hallway. And the very first thing he does is he walks up to his brother and then to my other man. He goes, right across their faces. Oh, man. Okay, here you go. Come back and sit down. I need my blankie. Blankie, right? But there was a difference between him confessing that he had done something wrong and really living out what it means to repent. Are you with me? If he repented, he would have gone back to doing the same thing he just did. Right? As Christians, it's the same way. When we confess our sins and we've asked Christ into our heart, we begin to live for him. We shouldn't be going back to the things that we used to do. 
Now we're living a life that's repentant. Right? The good thing is, what's really great about this is we don't have to do it on our own. When Christ is in our heart, He can help us walk through this. Right? It's not something we can do on our own as Christians. We need to have the blood of Christ covered. We need to have His sacrifice paid on the cross in our lives. I heard this this week, I thought it was pretty cool, that the cross is really the tree that we should have for Christmas. That's the tree of Christmas. The price that was paid on the cross. The gifts and the blessings that come with His price paid on it, right? Our salvation, our freedom, our peace of mind. Right? Anyway, that's off topic. <laughs> right? But we serve a good God. He helps us walk through this. It would be like, like these guys that are in, in, in prison or in jail. They're sorry for their actions, right? They're sorry for the things they've done, at least at the time. But I'll tell you, probably the majority of the time, people come out of jail, come out of prison, they get around the same people, they live the same life, they act the same way, and it's not long before they're back in prison for the same thing they just did. Right? So as Christians, we need to let Christ rule. We need to walk in His paths. Right? You with me? Good. Sometimes those guys, they're not like that. Sometimes we read, let's say as Christians, I'm talking about prisoners, kind of place. Let's do it as Christians, right? We go back home, we live the same life, we do the same things, having confessed our sins, asked Christ into our heart, but we go back and do the same things over. We live that life all over again. What happens? Sometimes we don't just go back to a prison spiritually for the same thing. Sometimes it gets worse. All of a sudden we're doing more and more. Pushing God. We're pushing His grace. We're stretching. Right? As Christians, we must avoid that trap. You think God looks at us the same way we look at kids when they do like my nephew did? Oh, jeez. He did it again. He just confessed and he just sat here and said he was sorry. My son just confessed his sin, but he's going back out and doing a whole I paid the price, he says. I've already paid the price for their sin. They don't even go back. Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sin. God, I'm really frustrated, I think. But with that being said, I believe this is why heaven gets so excited over repentance. Luke 15. You guys have probably heard a little bit about this story. It talks about the shepherds going after the one, leaving the 99 to go after the one. You ever heard that story? Buddy? A little bit? Okay. Yes, Pastor. Yes. <laughs> when he finds the one who's lost, he calls his friends together and celebrates. Jesus, Jesus was telling the listeners in Luke 15, verse 7. 
Luke 15, 7 says this, I tell you that in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Confession itself is not enough. God and the angels truly get excited when repentance happens in our lives. Confession is the first step, followed by repentance that shows that we truly mean we are sorry. Last thing, number four, we produce. We produce. Verses 8 through 11 in our main text in Matthew chapter 3. It says, finally, John the Baptist had these words for those coming to be ready for the coming of the Lord. He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. There is one more step to prepare for Christ. We must confess our sins and we must repent and change our ways in order to keep from making the same mistakes. Then he tells us we must produce. Would you have an idea what the fruits that we produce are? Good works. Good works. Love. We can find it in Galatians chapter 5. Starting in verse 22. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All naturally pulling out of our lives. As Christians, when we confess and we're living a repentful life, we produce all of these things naturally. We don't have to pretend to love. We don't have to pretend to be kind. We don't have to pretend to be patient. It becomes our nature. It becomes who we are. It becomes part of how we live and what we do. How many of you know Christians that call themselves Christians, but are mean, almost evil, ugly, you know, there's you, you they call themselves Christians but don't produce the fruit of a Christian. I know you. Right? More often than not, it's somebody who's been in church for a long time. Probably their parents were in church. And the parents before them were in church, right? They think they're entitled to their salvation because they go to church. They think they're entitled to act that way because they go to church. Church and salvation are two different things. A walk with a Savior and fellowship with a few are two different things. That was weak. <laughs> so we can see it here in our main text. A little bit about what I'm talking about. When John talked to the Pharisees as they were coming, he said, When he saw any of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath and come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. The Pharisees were doing the same exact thing as those Christians that we know sit in their seat in our Same exact way. 
They thought they were entitled. I've grown up in church. I've grown up under these teachings. I know what the Bible says. Well, I know what the scrolls right? I know what the scriptures say. Right? That's how these guys work. But that's not where it ended. Where you were coming, what, what John was talking about was Christ. These guys weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for the very prophecies that had been told of a Savior coming. They believed they could do it on their own. And as Christians, we can't. We can't live a life without Christ. The very definition of Christian needs to be Christ-like. Right? To walk after Christ, to live like Him. Right? If I showed up at work, but maybe, let's say you showed up at work tomorrow, and you didn't produce anything for the whole day, yeah, you might get a little bit of trouble, but you probably saw the job on Tuesday. If you did, what if you did it Tuesday? Then Wednesday? And decided to do it again on Thursday? How long do you think it's going to be before you don't have a job? It's going to, it's going to be pretty quick, right? <laughs> If I played for the Giants, or if I played for the Patriots, or maybe the Jets, I don't know if you guys like it, right? Or in that, like, no man's land over here for uh, sports teams. But if I was out on the field, maybe I'm playing defense, and I just said, oh, let that guy go. It won't be too long, I'll be sitting on the sidelines. Right? I'm not, I'm paid to play. I'm supposed to produce, right? If I don't produce, there's results. Right? It won't be long. I won't be getting paid. I'll be watching it. I'll be an armchair quarterback. Right? I'm watching it from home. Let's say you go on a nice date with a young lady or a young man. Your first date, and you don't show any kind of respect. Right? Or any kind of love towards that person. What's the likelihood of you getting a second date? Pretty unlikely, right? Forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> Great investor. Forget about it. It's not going to happen, right? We need to produce. We need to have those fruits of the Spirit. Producing in our own. And like I said, all this we don't need to do it on our own. Once we've confessed and asked Christ into our heart, we take on his nature, his likeness. Doesn't mean we don't have to do anything. So again, I'll ask. Christmas. Are you ready? Are you ready? Maybe you don't know the Lord. Christmas. Christ of Christmas. Are you ready? Are you ready to prepare a place for him? As a Christian, are you prepared? If you've asked him in your heart, are you letting some things back in? Are you ready to prepare a place for him as well? Are you ready to move some junk out? 
you can do. You can be ready for Christmas. Start by doing this, preparing and cleaning out a way for Him. Do this by confessing your sins to God and, if necessary, to your fellow brother or sister or pastor or friend, not for gossip. Turn from our previous ways and keep from falling into the same trap. And finally, we produce. We produce fruits worthy of a Savior. We produce gifts in our life that are worthy of a King. The greatest thing about Christmas. gift really wasn't his birth. It was that one day he would face a cross to purchase our salvation. It wasn't the gift of his birth. It was the gift that one day he would die for us. And this morning there's many people that sit in this room with a king who died for them.
Christ, we pray for our sins. Father, we love and we appreciate you. Jesus, we worship you, Lord.
So uh, let's, let me just pray to close, and then whoever wants to come up after can pray, everybody else can get some food and hang out and uh, get to know somebody you don't know. Break the ice a little bit. So Jesus, we thank you so much for your spirit here. This is so sweet to be in your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us, uh, Lord, without a way out, Lord, that you, uh, you gave us the Holy Spirit, Lord, and that you gave us a new creation inside of us that uh, and we just want to live out of that new creation inside of our lives. Lord. We want to live out of that who we really are in you. We want to be the people that, are, that don't continue to do the things that we don't want to do. Uh, and it's so possible, Lord, with you that we can just believe that. We can believe that we don't need to act in certain ways and we don't need certain habits, Lord, in our lives, that we're free from that. And it's so cool, and I just thank you, Lord, that uh, you're breaking those things off of us, and that they, they don't really have any power over us, Lord, other than the power we give them. So I pray that you open our eyes to that, and that uh, we would just believe in that deliverance that you have for us, and that uh, that freedom that we have in you. And we ask, Lord, that you would just give us a, another way to look at Christmas uh, this year, Lord, and we would just be even more thankful, Lord, that we just ratchet up our thankfulness even more, and that we just be free. And I pray that you just bless these people here. Lord. Bless Pastor Jerry, Lord, put them on his feet quick. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.